I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. Brian Barrett with you after the Celtics win their opener 126 to 117. They make an absolute statement to the rest of the NBA. We'll be joined by Nora Princiati from the Ringer NFL show in just a little bit. We'll get into the whole Zappy Mac thing, but we got to start with the Celtics because that was pretty impressive tonight. Philadelphia was the sexy pick to come out of the Eastern Conference. What do we hear all offseason? Oh, James Harden is in shape. Well, congratulations. The guy's a fucking NBA player, and he was, like, getting awards in the offseason because he's actually in shape. And Joel Embiid, back-to-back MVP finishes. Everybody's looking at, like, oh, yeah, he's going to get the nudge this year. He's finished second. Embiid's going to make a statement. He's going to be the MVP this season. We heard all this kind of stuff with Philly. All the momentum with Philly in the offseason was positive. The Celtics have had their issues off the court, as we all know, the Ime Udoka situation. But tonight, the Celtics weren't hearing any of that shit from the pundits out there because they made an absolute statement. So let's get into some of the details. But before we do that, like I want to get into some of the guys individually. But before we do that, the first quarter, yeah, that was a little bit sloppy. But the biggest thing that jumps out to you tonight is your two best players showed up. 35 apiece for Tatum and Brown. And... This whole idea of the Celtics having the best duo in the NBA, I don't know how many other teams have a better one-two punch in this group, right? And I understand that they went through their issues in the postseason last year, whether it be turnovers, whether it be issues finishing at times, like Jason Tatum in Game 6 did not have a great NBA Finals, but clearly it looks like these two guys are on a mission together to tell the rest of the league that, yeah, they did make it to the NBA Finals. And it wasn't just because of injuries. It does feel like there's sort of this bond with this team right now, and especially the two best players, that they want to prove to everybody out there that they're the team to go through in the Eastern Conference. I mean, really think about it. Who's better than them two individually? Like, the duo. 
Giannis and Middleton, I wouldn't put him there. Yeah, like Giannis comes into the season with the crown as the best player in the league, but as a one-two punch, are they better than Jalen and Tatum? No. Even Steph Curry, who's his second best player? Clay Thompson at this stage? I mean, we saw Clay Thompson at times during the final struggle. Jordan Poole coming off the bench. Kawhi and Paul George, that's sort of an older duo. And I think it's basically a similar duo to Tatum and Brown, but Tatum and Brown are better than those two guys right now. I mean, they're the team that just went to the NBA Finals. Those guys haven't gone to the NBA Finals together, and they're just predatorial at times. I mean, they just ratchet it up, and it does feel like because they play so hard, those two guys individually, that everybody else has to play that way as well. This team is so athletic, too. The athleticism jumps off the screen. When you're watching and today you look at this team offensively, I felt I told you the other day, I think they're going to have a top five offense in the league. They shot 56.1% from the field. okay, and they were 72.3% from two point territory. So they were just getting whatever they wanted. They were flying by Philadelphia 76ers defenders. okay. so before we get into some of the guys, let me just mention this real quick off the top. TNT, clean it up. I don't know what the fuck that was tonight with the audio. I'm guessing you guys had similar problems to me because I tweeted out and I got a lot of feedback on it. I don't know why the audio was ahead of the video. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So we knew whether or not a basket was going in. I mean, that can't happen. Clean that up. The only thing that they did worse tonight on the broadcast than that was fourth quarter. And I love Ian Eagle, one of my favorites in the business. That guy's incredible. I love him, love Kevin Harlan, love the TNT play-by-play guys. But don't reference Kyle Schwarber. I understand that Philadelphia is playing in the game, but do not reference Kyle Schwarber. That is a soft spot to all of us. But seriously, clean that up with the audio stuff. I don't know what that's about. Let's get into Tatum first, and then we'll get into Brown. This was sort of, and we keep referencing the statements. This was, yeah, I'm not just coming to be one of the best players in the NBA. I want to be the best player in the NBA. That's sort of the attitude he had in this game tonight. And if you think about it, the one thing that really, really stuck out to me is just Tatum getting downhill and getting to the free throw line, right? So he took seven free throws in the first half. He took nine in the game and he had 16 points at halftime. But the big thing to me about Tatum and how he sort of gets into that top five, maybe even top three territory in terms of the scoring title, if you will, is getting to the free throw line more. And we saw that tonight. If you look at it last year, he was at 6.2 free throw attempts per game. Obviously, tonight he's at nine. And those 6.2 attempts per game were 14th in the NBA. He was 11th in scoring at 26.9. You look at the top seven scorers in the NBA last season, six of the seven took north of seven free throws per game. Only LeBron out of the top seven guys wasn't taking at least seven free throws per game. So that's part of the reason you can, or part of the way Tatum can get into that territory top three Top five. I mean, clearly he has the ability to win the scoring title if he wants to. And we saw tonight another element to the game. See that nice little floater he threw up there? That's another thing he can dig into. And before the season, his skills coach, if you will, Drew Hanlon, was quoted as he's taken a ton of floaters. He had a nice one tonight. And that's something that he could certainly dig into. Only three attempts last year when it comes to that. Some of the big time scorers in the league, like Durant's over five a game when it comes to that. So that's an interesting thing. But just some plays in particular with Tatum. How about in the third quarter? He just puts P.J. Tucker in the torture chamber. Like, this is a big, strong guy in P.J. Tucker. And this is where it feels different to me with Tatum. He just overpowered P.J. Tucker and got him to follow him. Like, P.J. Tucker, this guy is a massive individual. Remember a couple of years ago, yeah, Kevin Durant had that great series in terms of the totality of the points, but Tucker made him work for everything. 
And Tatum had no issue with this guy whatsoever. He was just backing him down. And then the very next possession, rather, he just shoots right over his head. P.J. Tucker had no answer for Tatum whatsoever in this game. And that's part of the reason they bring in P.J. Tucker is to deal with guys, and in particular, deal with a guy like Tatum. Tucker had no answer for him whatsoever. Then after that, he shot the ball right over Harrell. Harrell, a big man who's a terrible defender, but he's just up on Tatum. Tatum just shoots it right over him. And the defensive effort from Tatum, and this is why I said the other day, I believe he's going to be a first-team all-defender this season. You can see it. He's an exceptional off-the-ball defender. Not to say that he's not a great on-the-ball defender, because early in the game, Maxi tries to take him off the dribble. And Maxi was a problem at times tonight. But Maxi tries to take him off the dribble, and Tatum's having none of that shit. He just blocks him. And I love the fact that he kept wanting Harden, right? He was just getting on Harden and switches and wanted him. It's like he takes the challenge. It sets the tone for the rest of the team. And then on back-to-back possessions in the third quarter, he reads a situation where Philadelphia, a rare situation, they get out in transition. Joel Embiid gets deep post position. Tatum sees this happening, and he just aborts his guy in the corner, leaves his guy in the corner, runs out, gets the steal. The Celtics go the other way. They score. The very next possession, Joel Embiid's trying to do his thing, doubles, takes the ball away. Eventually, that leads to a three. Remember, that was sort of the possession that got a little bit messy. Brogdon tried to throw the ball to Jalen. It didn't go smoothly on a three and one, but a three on one, and then eventually they get an open three. But nonetheless, and then... He backs Harden down, uh, back cuts Harden, I should say, where Harden's on him on defense and Harden does not try on defense whatsoever. We know this, but he just falls asleep. Tatum back cuts him for a bucket, which is should be embarrassing for a guy like James Harden. Third quarter, though, that's when they come out of halftime. It's a tie game. And Tatum made sure that it was abundantly clear that he was the best player on the court. He goes for 17 points in the third. He's seven of nine. And he has five boards in that quarter as well. He's a plus 12. So with these stars out there, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tatum made sure that it was clear the Celtics were going to win the game and he was going to be the best player on the floor. And if you just look at the numbers, some of the advanced numbers, not really advanced, but their offensive rating, 134.6 in the third quarter, which the best team last year was at 116.2. Their defensive rating, a 100. The best defense in the NBA last year were the Celtics, of course, 106.2. And that is all fueled by Tatum. We referenced the offense there in the third quarter, but also the defense. The playmaking as a defender is just what's impressive to me. We know what he is as a one-on-one defender. Ask Kevin Durant about the postseason last year. So Tatum on the night goes for 35. James Harden on the night goes for 35. Here's the difference. Tatum impacts winning more because of his presence defensively and because of all the pressure he puts on you on the other side of the court, and he doesn't dominate the ball the way that Harden does. So on the night, Tatum's a plus 10, Harden's a plus one. And really, if you look at it, Harden got lucky in the first quarter, not to say that they weren't fouls, but he was fouled three times on three-pointers. The Celtics really cleaned that up after that. And that was really how he got his scoring going. He had 16 in the first quarter. Eight of those were at the free throw line. After that, the Celtics handled them pretty well. Another thing, just in terms of the free throws in general, Tatum's the guy that led the team with those nine, but on the night, the Celtics took 28 free throws. This is one of the two things I wanted the Celtics to do more this season, get to the free throw line. They took 28 free throws. Last year, they were 24th in the NBA at 20.9, and the league leader was at 24.5. So they were at 28 tonight because they kept putting pressure on that defense of the Philadelphia 76ers. The next guy I want to get to is Jalen because Jalen despite the fact they didn't shoot the ball well from outside until the end of the game, four of 12 from deep, he's still at 35. 
And the athleticism at times from Jalen was overwhelming. Now, there were a couple of times where the dribbling, the ball handling was a little bit sloppy. That's always, it feels like, going to be an issue for Jalen at this point in his career. But overall, this guy was tremendous. How about he has the steal on Embiid, then scores on him on the other end. He had an open three that Grant found him on. Then he had a nice pull-up three. And then he had a three at the end of the game as well, which was nice to see, that made it a 118-103 game. So the thing to me that sticks out about Jalen right now is just he was playing with a lot of energy, which you love to see. Not that he doesn't ordinarily do that, but you could tell sort of going back to the Tatum thing that there is this sense that, hey, we need to send a message to the rest of the league. And of course, Jalen has extra motivation as well because of the trading situation. Or I should say Jalen has another source of motivation because of the contract going forward and because he was in trade rumors once again this offseason. But I love the way that Jalen came out and played tonight with a ton of energy. Even if his shot wasn't falling early, he was very aggressive. So Jalen and Tatum tonight, both tremendous. The other guy that had a really nice game, I shouldn't say game, but the guy that I was really impressed with was Joe Mazzula. Okay, so before we get into one thing specifically with him, you notice how he chews gum? It reminds me of Pete Carroll. Like, he is really intense with the gum chewing. Like, dude, Take it easy. Nobody's going to take that gum away from you. This is like very Pete Carroll-esque, if you will. But if you look at one thing that Joe Mazzulla said in the offseason is he wants to play faster. That was abundantly clear tonight. And one of the main reasons the Celtics won this game, and I've always said this, it's the low-hanging fruit in the NBA. Run. We see the Toronto Raptors do it all the time. They run like crazy because their coach realizes, Nick Nurse, that there's easy points in transition. So if you look at the Celtics last year, 21st in fast break points at 11.1. This is the Celtics. They're one of the most athletic teams in the NBA. That's inarguable. So how are they at 11.1 fast break points last season? That shouldn't be the case, right? Tonight, they had a 24 to 2 advantage in fast breaks in terms of fast break points. The Grizzlies led the league last year at 17.7. So this is clearly going to be an effort from this Celtics team to run. And you could see it. I mean, Stan Van Gundy was referencing it on the broadcast that the Celtics were getting out and they were running. And it was obvious, right? I mean, some of the plays that stick out to me, first quarter, Brogdon, a hit-ahead pass to Vonley, and then they find Jalen for a wide-open three. This is because they had a head pass. This is because the Celtics are trying to run. Then you had Smart to Jalen on the break and Smart on that particular play. This is after a Missed shot where Smart catches the outlet really near half court, and then it's just really easy pass to Jalen up the floor. That stuff is how you're going to score more points in transition, get more fast break points, which the Celtics were not doing last year. Second quarter, Tatum and and one in transition, and he just catches the ball with a full head of steam, right? Catches the ball outlet and one because he's running. Then Tatum found a nice hit ahead pass to Smart where Smart actually had positioning on the defender. He had that early post position. Tatum just gets it up to him, a nice hit-ahead pass. So that type of stuff, to me, is very important going forward, is obviously you're going to be smaller than you were a year ago without Robert Williams. But even when Rob comes back, we know how athletic he is. Take advantage of your athleticism. Overwhelm some teams with that, and we certainly saw that tonight from the Celtics. Okay, now i got to get to Brogdon. So, oh, by the way, just to sort of put a bow on the Missoula conversation, really impressed with what he did at times with Embiid as well, where in the third quarter, when they kept running that same action all the time, it was just a pick and roll with Harden and Embiid. He started putting a smaller player on Embiid so they could switch that with Harden rather than Harden getting ahead of steam 
And then they would just have the bigger defender come over and take and beat. And Doc really never adjusted to it because, I mean, he's Doc Rivers. He's not going to make an adjustment. They were running the same pick and roll, and the Celtics were switching the action. Had a couple of nice out-of-bounds plays as well that set up easy baskets for the Celtics. So I was really impressed with Missoula in his first game. Like I said, it's one game, but some of the stuff that he was telling us about in the lead up to the season and training camp, they came true. We saw the Celtics run more. We saw the Celtics be more aggressive. We saw him lean towards more offensive units at times, which is something he said. All right, getting to Brogdon, great debut for him. 10 in the first half, five of seven. And just a couple of things that stick out to me. Immediately, you can tell that his drive game is going to have an impact on this team. He had a nice drive early on a closeout where ordinarily you'd see a guy take a three there. He he drives the closeout, easy basket. Next time down, really nice drive Great pass Harden goes to the bucket. And this is scouting reports who drive on Harden. He's not going to keep up with you. Brogdon does that. Then on another drive, he had a nice dump off to Vonley. Now, Vonley did not make the layup, but very nice dump off to him. So he finishes with 16 and four in 24 minutes, seven for 11. He's a plus nine. And I did like the fact that he adds additional playmaking, right? Where it just seems like the offense runs really smoothly and really easily when he's on the floor. And just getting back to that drive situation, The Celtics are not a big drive team last year, right? They were 13th in in the NBA in drives per game at 45.8. They were 25.7 points per game on drives, 13th in the NBA. And their assists off drives were 13th in the NBA at 4.5. Brogdon, 4th in the NBA in drives per game, 9th in points per game off drives, and 5th in assists per game off drives at 2.4. And you saw that tonight. I mean, he can run an offense. He can certainly run a second unit. And he can get to the basket and put some pressure on your defense, which the Celtics certainly needed. I mean, you would have loved to have this guy in the NBA Finals last year when some of the offense was getting stuck in the mud because he's just another guy that can get his own offense. And it does really feel like I love having him come off the bench, keeping Derek White in the starting lineup, because you need to sort of stagger those minutes, the Tatum Brown and Brogdon minutes. So you always have that type of offensive engine on the court. And quite frankly, I'd like to see Brogdon and Jalen a little bit more because Tatum can get his own stuff. I like Jalen being more of a play finisher because we know at times he can struggle in terms of dribbling the basketball. He's not really a creator, if you will. Brogdon is that guy. So that was great. And this is like, I said it in the offseason, this is like the perfect guy to bring into the Celtics team. Ball creation, good defender. He can run a pick and roll. He can get downhill. This is exactly what the Celtics needed. Additional playmaking. They certainly got that with Brogdon tonight. Oh, a quick thing on Derek White. So I know Derek White didn't have a great game in terms of the scoring and all that. He was a plus nine, which I mean, that's partly because he plays a lot with Tatum, but he was really good defensively tonight. One of the things that jumps out to me about Derek White, and I don't know how you can measure this. I don't know if there's a number for this. Believe me, if it was out there, I would try to find it. But He has got to be one of the best guys I've ever seen in the NBA, and this isn't hyperbolic, at getting around screens. Like, it seems like a very simplistic thing, but it's very difficult to do because you got to get skinny and you got to get around the guy. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. We see guys all the time die on screens. I mean, sometimes it's for lack of an effort. Like, if Harden, if you set a screen on Harden, he's not fighting through it. What Derek White does is he gets around it. He maneuvers around it. Two examples tonight. First of all, he got a foul on House getting around a screen because he noticed that House wasn't set up yet. He saw that the guy that he was covering was going that way. So he ran into House when House wasn't set up yet. Very smart thing to do. And then the other one is it was Embiid setting a screen for Harden. So when Embiid goes to set the screen, 
Derek White gets around it, and he's right in Harden's pocket. Harden thinks that Embiid has already rolled, but he hasn't yet because White got around the screen, and he just sort of drops the ball, and the Celtics get the ball, they go the other way, and they score in transition. So it's just a small thing that I've noticed with Derek White since he became a member of this Celtics organization, but it's a very important thing. And I don't know if there's some kind of number, but it's a remarkable thing that he does. And I've never seen anybody as good. And I'm not trying to sound like crazy about this. I've never seen a guy that's better than Derek White at doing this. All right. Then there's Grant Williams, 15 points, and he got himself in foul trouble early. Five of five from the floor, three of three from three-point territory, which we knew that Grant sort of established himself as one of the best standstill shooters in the NBA from three-point territory last year. We were wondering at times last year where the number is real, but eventually you had to say, yeah, they're real. And you give Grant himself a ton of credit for improving on that last year, one of the best three-point shooters from the corner in the entire NBA, quite frankly, in totality, shut north of 41% from three last season. And one thing that they busted out with Grant today that they didn't do last year is, and I have to imagine this is because there's no Robert Williams and Grant's playing the five, They found him on a short roll and then immediately, and this is what Rob did really well at the end of last year, and this is what Al Horford can do really well, is Grant catches the ball on the short roll, not known for his playmaking, kicks it right out in terms, uh, kicks it right out to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown hits an open three because Grant immediately knows where his read is supposed to be on that short roll, finds it, and it's very difficult to sort of defend that action when Jason Tatum is the ball handler, right? Because are you going to double Jason Tatum? If you don't double Jason Tatum, he's going by the big. So what the Philadelphia 76ers did is they blitz Jason Tatum. He founds Grant Williams and Grant Williams makes the right play. So I'll be interested to see going forward if they use Grant Williams more in this role. Now, obviously part of the story with Grant, he did not get an extension prior to the season and I don't blame him. The Celtics apparently didn't want to get into that 13 to $14 million range. Grant's going to get more than that next offseason. And one thing that I do respect from Grant, he is in the Players Association in terms of he's a vice president. I don't know. I, I can't keep track of this. There's like nine vice presidents of the Players Association. But one thing he said is, I don't want to take a bad deal, not just for me, but for the rest of the players. Not a bad deal, but his whole point was because he's sort of in the hierarchy of the Players Association, He's going to make sure that he gets the right type of contract. And Grant, better on yourself, man, because I believe he's going to have a really good season. I believe he's going to get a lot more minutes than he did tonight, of course, because he didn't get to that 30-minute threshold, really because of the foul trouble situation. But instant offense off the bench, and that's another thing with this team. How good is this bench? You're talking about Malcolm Brogdon. You're talking about Grant Williams coming off your bench. These are impact players. I, if you look at a top seven in the NBA, who has a better top seven than the Celtics. Even if you look at a team like the Clippers that is insanely deep, they don't have like that great 3-4 option, if you will, on that team. They have good players that are 3-4, and four, but the Celtics have better 3-4 and four options than they do. Like Brogdon as the third best player is better than anybody the Clippers have as their third best player. So if you just look at this roster is deep, but it's also really good at the top, as we all know as well. All right, a couple of things on Embiid in this game. Here's the numbers that stick out to me about Embiid. Six threes that he took and six turnovers. Those are the big thing. The Celtics were all over him. Anytime he put the ball on the ground, the Celtics were all over him. When he was doubled, they were jumping the passing lanes. They were just really on to everything that Embiid was doing. And it's very impressive because you only really had one traditional big in this game that is a proven entity in the NBA at this point in Horford, right? Like I get Griffin's played forever, but he hasn't been good in a couple of years. 
And Noah Vonley was not even really in the NBA last year. He's playing over in China for a while. And this is really one of the two guys that you're really worried about in terms of big guys in the league, right? In terms of low post presence, if you will, because Giannis, yeah, he's a big, but he's also a perimeter guy as well. I mean, he's sort of in his own category, but like traditional bigs in the Eastern Conference, who are you worried about? Embiid, that's it, right? <laughs> and this is the night that the Celtics should be exposed for their lack of size or the lack of depth at the center position. And they weren't in at all. In fact, they exposed Embiid. And I can't take this guy's crap. I mean, I know the Celtics have played him in a playoff series recently, and they played him a couple times back as well. I remember the whole Marcus Morris thing when he was giving him the three to one, like in terms of where the series was at. But he's got flying elbows everywhere. I did really like that Smart got into it with them because right at the start of the third quarter, I do feel like things changed after this for the Celtics too, right? It's like typical Marcus Smart stuff where Smart's sort of getting into it with Embiid. Embiid, by the way, definitely knew he had him hooked, definitely was trying to get him down, definitely was malicious when it comes to that. And Smart just like grabbed his like, whatever, technical foul. I did like the fact that Jalen went over like right away to go after Embiid after Marcus Smart got into it with him. But you could tell they were in his head all night long. And did you really ever feel Embiid in that game? And that's sort of the thing that jumps out to me. Like you would figure, oh, shit, Al Horford's in foul trouble early. Grant Williams is in foul trouble. The Philadelphia 76ers are going to take advantage of this, and they really never did. The last thing on the bigs, Vonley in this game plays 20 minutes. He scores two points. A couple of thoughts on him. I was actually kind of surprised that he was the first big off the bench. Maybe I shouldn't have been because the Celtics were talking really highly of Vonley sort of in the offseason. But first possession on Embiid follows him at the three-point line. And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? I mean, this is where you want Embiid to be. Why would you follow him there? And then right after that, he got a feed from Smart that he couldn't finish the layup. He couldn't handle the ball. I shouldn't say he couldn't finish the layup. He couldn't even handle the ball. So I did like the fact, I mean, obviously the guy plays hard. He plays with a lot of energy, but I wasn't really impressed with Vonley. And I, I, not to say like this is like a big surprise. Vonley is a guy that was not in the NBA last season, but I was not impressed with him. Griffin did have five rebounds. I didn't think he looked particularly great in this game either. He still looks like the guy that we saw at times in the postseason last year, but they got away with Al being in foul trouble. He only played 23 minutes in this game, and you still kick the shit out of the 76ers. I mean, the final score isn't indicative. I mean, they were in control at the end of the fourth quarter and really the midpoint of the third quarter and Doc, fourth quarter, rather, and Doc kept his guys. Out. I don't know why he kept his starters out. So I'll get your starters out of the damn game. But anyway, Hauser in this game, and not that he's a big, but he only played three minutes. I am interested if they dig into him a little bit more, but this almost did seem like it was a playoff atmosphere with the Garden, and it did feel like, based on the way the 76ers play offense, that they would have targeted Hauser when he was on the court. Like, if you saw the Hauser minutes to begin the fourth quarter, it was when Harden was getting his rest. So I do think that Joe Mazzulla, to his credit, was really cautious about that, where I'm not going to put Hauser on the court when Harden's out there because they're going to go after him. But biggest takeaways from the game, it looks like Tatum is going to be, as we mentioned the other day, he's going to be an all-defensive team guy. It looks like he's going to be in the conversation, and I told you I love the odds on FanDuel. He's going to be in the conversation for the MVP, and this team's going to be really fun to watch. I do believe that one of the things that Joe Mazzulla is going to have an impact on is the offense is going to be a lot better this season. And part of that is you got to give credit to Brad to bring it in Malcolm Brogdon. But we saw tonight the Celtics were playing at a faster pace. They were running more, and the ball was flying around more. Remember at times last year, it did feel like the ball could get stuck, and what we saw tonight was just like what we saw in the preseason. Now, the assist numbers were not there. 
they were at 24 tonight, but in the preseason, they were the best passing team if you just look at the assist percentage, the assists in general, but you did see the ball flying around. And the biggest takeaway to me is one of the things I was hoping to see to start the season is the fuck you attitude from this team, right? Where we've seen this before with NBA champions or teams that were runner-ups in terms of the NBA finals. We've seen it in the NFL before as two where teams lose and they come back with a vengeance. We saw it with the Patriots, right? Where they come back, they avenge their loss against the Eagles, they win the Super Bowl. But we've seen this in the NBA before too, where if you go back, think about the Cleveland Cavaliers. They lose, they lost Kyrie Irving, they lost Kevin Love. They come back the next year and they end up coming back, they beat the Warriors. Think about the best example of this is the Spurs. They lose in excruciating fashion, okay? Against that Miami Heat team, we all remember the Ray Allen shot. The next year, they come back with a vengeance. And I know that the Celtics have been dealing with a lot of drama in the offseason. And I also understand that it's only one game. But it does feel like there is clearly an effort from the team and a level of this group together just being pissed off that they want to get back there. And we saw it on the court tonight. And the other thing that is impressive about this is you could tell that the front office said, hey, where are the areas we need to get better? And that main area was playmaking. And they go out and they get a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. So I'm awfully excited about this season. I was almost ready to jump on the pod and say, cue the duck boats. Nobody's messing with the Celtics. I really feel good about this team right now. And that was a great opening night. That was a great game to start the season off. The one thing is, just a small NBA note, can we hurry up with the reviews? I mean, I know we talk about this every year, but my word, it takes forever. Like, how long were they going to review that Embiid smart play? At the beginning of the third quarter, I mean, get it over with and make your decision. It shouldn't take this long. And then we got to call in the other ref to make the decision. It was just, it was too time consuming to deal with that type of crap because he had such an exciting game. Two teams that are considered to be two of the best in the East and one team looks significantly better than the other. But man, that just, that crap takes way too long. Oh, and just on the official thing, I don't know, first of all, on that play in the fourth quarter, they take away the foul on Horford on Embiid, which clearly you could tell in real time that wasn't a foul. Embiid falls every time. I don't know how, and I don't think anybody should have got a technical foul because they were right complaining about the call. But nonetheless, I don't know how Tatum, I don't know, maybe Tatum said something crazy. I don't know how Tatum got the technical and it wasn't Al Horford. Al Horford's like bouncing the ball. He's jumping around like crazy. And it's Jason Tatum that ends up with the technical foul. That one didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll get into the Patriots in just a little bit here. We'll talk about the Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones situation with Nora Princiati from The Ringer NFL Show in just a couple of minutes here. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from The Ringer NFL Show, Nora Princiati. Nora, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Excited to be here. So did you think before the season the biggest storyline would be Mac versus Zappi? <laughs> uh, no, no, nor the nor the um, Matt Patricia resurgence forcing all of us, uh, maybe myself included, who issued some off-season opinions that that wouldn't go so well to maybe rethink, not totally, not totally there yet, but a lot of surprises with this Patriots team for sure. Yeah, well, the first three weeks, it definitely looked like everybody was right about Matt Patricia, but it was pretty bad. So it's interesting to me, right, because like everybody, of course, here locally is arguing over Zappi and Mac. Do you think there's real internal discussions going on on whether or not to keep rolling with Zappi? Or do you think Mac's going to get his job back no matter what? So I, I think Matt gets the job back no matter what. Um, I hope along with that, 
And I do think there are some internal discussions going on there right now about like, okay, how do we get Mac to play a little bit more like Zappy has been playing in this sort of game manager role? Now, I think he deserves a lot of credit for for going and winning that game against Cleveland in a lot of ways. But the biggest thing, and some of this is is what the quarterback wants to do, and some of it is what the offensive staff is doing with play calling and, and um, game plan. I really, really, really hope they ask Mac to use quite a bit more play action. You know, some of this stuff, like how many screens they're running with Zappy, I think that'll that'll go away a little bit. But the play action stuff, just making it a little bit easier, easier on him, I, I think it's inevitable that they will very easily go back to Mac. I don't think that that's a real discussion. I, I hope they simplify things and, and do some of those game plan elements to see if he can play a little bit more like Zappy has played and not try to force some of these big plays that we saw earlier in the year were leading to interceptions. The thing that I do think is real is that if Matt keeps struggling, it is much more of a conversation in that building than it would have been, you know, if if Mac hadn't needed to go out, if Zappy hadn't performed this way. And I do think that's very real because Bill is not going to shy away from making a change if Mac struggles on a continued basis. I just don't think that they're there yet, though. Yeah, and going back to what you said about like the play action stuff, that to me is stunning, right? Because now Zappy's like over 31% of his dropbacks are out of play action. Mac was under 11%. And you mentioned the screen game as well. Mac was throwing way more balls down the field. I think his deep passing was like over 20% and Zappy's south of 9%. So why do you think that was the case, Nora? Why do you think they weren't using some of this stuff with Mac at the beginning of the season? Because it's basically opposite directions. Like Mac was using it like almost the fewest of the NFL and Zappy, it's like out of this world, like top tier NFL in terms of the usage. So uh, there are some um, pieces of that, like particularly I'm going to keep bringing up the play action thing. That piece of it, I don't have a good answer for you on that. I don't understand why you would significantly abandon some of what worked for Mac last year and ask him. And I thought Mac was so impressive in his rookie season seems like a guy you want to have a ton of optimism around. But I think most rational watchers of the Patriots would not look at how well Mac did last year and go, yes, this is a quarterback who, regardless of the structure that he's in, regardless of the system that he's in, he is going to be an elevator no matter what, put as much on his plate as humanly possible. First of all, there's not a quarterback in the league who is going to be at his best in that situation. I'm not saying it's that drastic. I'm just, I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect here. I don't know why he hasn't, why they haven't had him do a little bit more of that stuff. I do think that, you know, they were going into this year. They really like the quarterback looking to have a slightly more explosive passing game in particular. And maybe there's a combination of the coaching staff wants that to happen. The quarterback who has all sorts of ambitions for himself, right? Wants to be the greatest player that he can be. Certainly, idolizes guys who are not dinking and dunking, but who are making all of these incredible plays on a down-to-down basis. Maybe that combination somehow gets you into a place where, you know, they bring in these receivers and Mac is like, I want to air it out and I want to prove that I can do this. I want to prove that I can put a team on my shoulders. And you see him force some balls to Devontae Parker early in the game, uh, early in the season that create really negative plays. And I look at those and go, okay, the quarterback is making those choices, right? Like some of this is scheme. Some of this is play calling. And and those are 
coaching things. Some of this is is the decisions that the quarterback himself is making. And I think he wanted to do that stuff. So it's not just, you know, Patricia Belichick, how they can design a game plan to maximize his strength. I think Mac has to sort of look in the mirror and go, okay, some of that is not working. And maybe I should just sort of take what the defense gives a little bit more often. Um, so I think it's a combination of of both who the quarterback sort of wanted to be in this moment and also that offensive staff approaching this offseason and going, we have always had this, well, you know, if we can't if we can't beat them by joining them, I guess zig when other people zag, that didn't come out as pithily as I was hoping it would. But they've always tried to do what other teams aren't doing, right? And to be able to stress opponents in ways that they're not used to dealing with from the other 31 teams. And then this offseason, it was like, everybody runs some wide zone. Let's see if we can run some wide zone. Everybody tries to win with, you know, an explosive passing game. Let's maybe go away from the run heavy style that we've thrived on for years and and try to adopt some of those sort of more quote unquote modern NFL philosophies. It's funny. Maybe part of it is because they weren't anticipating what we've seen so far across the league where defense is actually like a really, really reasonable way to win a lot of games where so many offenses are struggling, where it seems like so many teams have been designed in this one specific way that actually, if you can do something different, it's really useful. So maybe some of that was a red herring. Maybe some of that is, is they've gotten a few games under their belt and are starting to realize that actually the formula that had been successful for them in the past, first of all, had been successful for them. And second of all, might be a really good way to stress a lot of the teams that they're going to have to face this season. To answer your question, I just think it's like a little from column A, a little from column B, a little from column C. Um, But the one person I want to not let not be part of this conversation is Matt, because we talk about the coaching a lot, but he made some of those decisions himself. Yeah, he made some really boneheaded passes. I felt like at times the phrase I use was hero ball. Like he was just throwing it up there where it didn't seem like it was, uh, and he had guys underneath. He was forcing the ball down the field. So I was listening to Albert Breer on the Patriots pregame show the other day, and he mentioned the fact that there was frustration from Mac and things got a little bit sideways in terms of the hiring of, or the promotion of Patricia and Joe Judge into that role. And we saw a similar report come out from Mike Florio. So I'm wondering if part of the issue, because they had such a bad training camp, the first couple of preseason games were so bad. I'm wondering if part of the issue that the Patriots may have had is the quarterback wasn't buying into and understandably so wasn't buying into what the offensive philosophy was, what the coaching staff was doing. And that's when you sort of arrived at that problem through the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really I think that's a good theory. It also would be really easy from, you know, I went there in training camp for a couple of days and at that point, I think early in the season, you know, I'm not in the meeting rooms there. I'm not on the field talking to those guys. But I've seen a lot of Patriots training camp practices. And that one was one of the worst that I've ever seen. <laughs> not just from the performance of the different units on the field, but just they didn't look, you know, there's there's offensive linemen just not with a coach near them, just sort of trying to run things by themselves. Like part of it is just they don't have that many and they've obviously you know bringing Patricia and Joe Judge back helps this in some ways but they've lost a lot of experienced coaches over the last few years and 
you would see, particularly with the fact that Patricia was supposed to be coaching the offensive line, but he's really working as de facto OC at that point. And he's walking around with Bill and there, you know, Bill's whispering something to him and then Patricia's calling a play. And it just, there were whole units of the offense that just didn't seem like they were getting a lot of attention. So I get why a, a quarterback with a lot on his shoulders going into his second year looks at that situation and goes, I'm going to have to pick up some slack here. It's also not a place, and you know we all know this from time spent following the Patriots, it's not a place where if you work, you're going to get a lot of answers about the thought process. You're, the expectation, even if you are the starting quarterback, is often trust the process. So I, I don't know. I have no information to this regard, but I just would imagine that if Mac was a little stressed out about that stuff, like, man, are the, the, is the train really on the tracks here? He was not going into Bill's office and having long heart to hearts about like, yeah, I understand why you don't like how this is playing out right now, but here's our plan. And here's what I really think about this. It's just, this is what we've got. We've got to execute. We've got to find a way to get better every day. And in some ways, those are the only answers that really make sense over the course of a football season. That is the challenge. It's also really, really, really unsatisfying. So if he's going to, if he's going to be the quarterback and have the most productive relationship with the coaches, with the rest of the offense, you can't push it in that way. You can't try to play hero ball. We've seen already the dangers of that. But I also do like empathize a little bit with with how you end up getting there when it feels like everything's so discombobulated. And I would guess there aren't a lot of clear answers being doled out about what the plan was to right the ship, even though, you know, so far so good. So that's a that's a feather in the cap of trust the process. Bill will make it all work out. But I get that it could be frustrating. Yeah, it's going to be really compelling to watch when Mac does get his job back. And the first time he has like a bad series or two at Gillette, like how the crowd reacts, because it, it does seem like the fan, ba- fan base is really rallying around this whole zappy hour. Another compelling storyline is Ramondre Stevenson, because over the past two weeks and look on a per run basis, it wasn't great last week. Two weeks ago, obviously, he's really good, although he did have that 31 yard run this week for the touchdown that was really unbelievable. But Damian Harris was basically the starting running back. They were switching off series to series. Like, how do you think they're going to handle this going forward? Because, Nora, I look at it, I just feel like Ramondre Stevenson is a better back and should be getting more carries. I agree. I think Ramondre at this point is one of the best backs in the league. He's been so, so, so impressive. I just think one of the, like, one of the commandments of of prognosticating about Patriots football is always assume that there will be different running backs in there and there will be some sort of rotation. Um, I, I don't think Ramondre could have done almost anything better, but I would just always lean towards they're going to they're gonna switch things up a little bit there from time to time. Yeah, what about, so Tyquan Thornton, I know he made his debut two weeks ago, but we saw last week and it was after Bourne went down in the game with the toe injury. Aguilar obviously wasn't playing. And then they had like all this stuff in the game plan for him. Like, and I didn't even know how much he was going to play because obviously Bourne started the game, but they got him the ball in a couple of jet sweeps. Of course, he took one to the end zone. Is this somebody that could sort of make this offense a little bit more dynamic? Because they really haven't had a player like this with it. Aguilar is a different type of guy. And obviously last year did not go well for him. But they haven't really had this type of player in terms of that speed element to the offense where the rest of the league has gone. The Patriots haven't. Yeah, they've got to be so excited about 
him showing those flashes, right? Because how many times for how many like years at this point have we had off-season conversations about they're just not fast enough. They just don't have enough speed. And, you know, Parker's the big ad of the off-season in terms of the receiver position. That's not him either. You know, he's he's win at the catch point, but he's not like lickety-split guy. Thornton and Mac together, I think, will be fascinating to watch because the fact that it looks like the Patriots are having this this it's not midseason, but you know, third of the way through the season resurgence here and look like they could be feisty over the course of this season is really, I think, encouraging because it seems like it's being powered by their last couple of drafts. And when that team got so depleted, you know, towards the end of Brady and in 2020, it was just like, they don't have players. They just, they, so many drafts have just not yielded a single down to down productive player. And all of a sudden, it seems like they've started to get some guys. Thornton is really, really exciting in that regard. And he obviously has this connection with Zappy that seems like it really works. You really hope that when Matt gets back in there, that continues because I think that, you know, that's got to be the type of thing where. They're really, really, really happy about seeing that. And if we're if we're acknowledging that maybe Mac's position is a little bit more tenuous than it used to be, even though I think that is absolutely, you know, that is his job to lose still. Something like that, the ability to keep getting, you know, have a good connection with a receiver who they just would be so happy, right? If Thornton like really is this player. Um, I think that'll be a fascinating one to watch. Well, the drafting thing is a great point, too, because we were talking about it last week. If you go back to 2020, they get Duggar in the first round. Now, the rest of that draft was not great, but last year, it's Mac Jones, it's Barmore, you get Stevenson in that draft. And then this year, Jack Jones, who's played really well for them, Marcus Jones, who's now starting. Yeah, yeah, he's starting to play more on defense. And of course, Zappi, who, and it's Cole Strange is starting every game. So you essentially went from 16 to 19, where they have nothing left, and two years ago, they have to spend like crazy in free agency to kind of make up for that roster, overpay the Hunter Henrys, the Nelson Aguilors, the John U. Smiths of the world. But now it does seem like, I don't know what happened in that building. I don't know if it really was the collaborative effort that we all heard, but something <laughs> changed because now all of a sudden they're actually like drafting well. Yeah, they all put their heads together and, and voted on Well, do, do you remember on draft night where Bill's like the fake, like, to get everybody involved being like, hey, are we good with this? Like he's asking the people around yeah. the room, are we good with this? It's like, uh, yeah, okay, this is this is completely staged. We understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. But maybe, hey, look, you can't really argue with the results, especially compared with however many seasons prior to that. Yeah, so if you, if you look at it with Thornton, it seems like they're clearly going to get him more playing time. So do you think they can get somebody to bite on Aguilar's contract sort of sell high on him? Or do you think Kendrick Bourne would be more likely to go just because he does have a favorable deal? Yeah, I, I, I think I think because so many of the contending teams are, you know, we we it's this all-in league, everybody's sort of capped out. The Bourne contract makes it so much easier. You're just gonna have like three or four teams that could be in on that that kind of couldn't be in on Aguilar. So I think that's probably the most likely thing, but you never know what you can work out. And it does seem like 
there are a lot of teams that there are a lot of good teams that could use a receiver. Um, now again, I, I think, you know, we talk about this with the Ravens. We talk about this with the chargers. They need a field stretcher. And I don't know how much those guys have, have shown that they could be the chess piece that either one of those offenses really, really needs. Um, so I'm not I'm not totally convinced on sort of what the right fit would be, but I think probably just just born contractually is going to be your better asset because there's there's more bidders. Yeah, with born, I'm so aggravated about that. When I was take committed to like the born breakout season, like all his numbers last year, yak per reception, the rating when he was targeted, I predict him to be the number one receiver on the Patriots this year. He had a bad camp; it didn't happen. So I'm going to be sad to see him go, just for my own selfish reasons. So. I want to ask you about Brady. Do you think that he was still hung over during the Steelers game on Sunday from the Kraft wedding? Or is oh it just a really bad situation there? Uh, you know, I, I'm actually not. I'm, I, I was looking at, I was just going through some numbers and, and watching a couple things back this morning and found myself feeling a little bit less horrible about the Bucks than I was before. Now, the craft wedding, I don't know. That's a tough look, man. Especially with like the Steelers finding out that you're not doing Saturday walkthrough and and that's not great. I mean, I, I'm all for showing up for your buddies and Brady can travel in a way that most of us cannot travel. So I'm sure that wasn't like horribly, horribly taxing for him. I actually think that now that they've, you know, they've got some receivers back, their passing offense is pretty good. The thing that they are not doing is acknowledging that their passing offense is actually pretty decent. They're running the ball and early down so much that the thing that made me a little bit more optimistic about them than I had been um, certainly right after that game was just thinking, okay, if somebody can get through to bowls and say, hey, your game plan should not be to to – hand it off or pass a tiny little dump off to Leonard Fournette all the time. Like that cannot be your early down plan more than half the time. I think they are running on like 58 or something. I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's high fifties percentage of early down situations. And it is not the reasoning for that is not borne out anywhere in the results. They have a bad running game and actually a pretty okay passing game so far. Um, so uh, just because of how few good teams there are in the NFC and the fact that they're not facing any super legit threat in that division, I actually kind of think that if they recommitted themselves to being, you know, an early down pass team, Brady buys in. I, I do think he really does not have a lot of trust in that offensive line and you can see it. And that's a dangerous situation. But if he could find a way to just be like, all right, I'm going to, give them my all with these guys and see what happens. I don't think that they're, you know, they don't seem like a Super Bowl contender, but I do actually think that they could could be better than they are. And it's just hard to find a, a really good NFC team right now. So that could put them in a in a position where they're the third or fourth best team in that conference. Yeah, I think he's missing his guy. I mean, his last bad season was 19. I mean, statistically, without Gronk. And then now this season, he can't do those videos with Gronk either every week. I think he misses his guy. 
So before I let you go, um, I was feeling good about the Patriots. And then, of course, I got to watch the fourth quarter of the Bills Chiefs and Josh Allen's running over guys, which or hurdling guys, I should say, that didn't make, make me feel great. But how about the Jets? So they're now four and two. And look, Zach Wilson has not played particularly well for them. But should we be worried about the Jets? Because the Patriots in the next couple of weeks are going to play him twice here. Yeah, I I, I think in particular, you got to be worried about the Jets defense. Um now the offense has has found ways to stay in games and to win games. Um, Brees Hall has been incredible, but as long as there's a quarterback who's not doing a whole lot to win games, I trust Belichick in those situations. Just I'm sure that he could look at Zach Wilson and be like, "I know exactly how to how to deal with this." Um, and they are running that offense through Brees Hall so much. I also trust the Patriots defense too you know, look at a team's number one weapon and say, okay, we're going to design something to take you out of this game. That defense though is feisty. I mean, Quinn and Williams has been one of the most disruptive players so far this season. Um, we know that the Patriots offensive line has started to look a lot better, but that's still not the dominant unit that it's been in some prior years. And they, they've just started, they have a lot of players. They have good players at all three levels of that defense. Sauce Gardner's been just unbelievable. So I don't think you can, you know, I, I do think that that's a real concern, mostly because of how good the Jets are on defense. Yeah, it's crazy. All of a sudden now, like the AFC East is good. You get the Bills at the top. Miami's obviously very talented. And the Jets, apparently, we're going to have to worry about them having a resurgence here. And that's something, as Patriots fans, we've really never had to worry about the Jets, except right. maybe for like a couple years there with Rex Ryan. That's Nora Princiati from the Ringer NFL show. Nora, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Nora Princiati from the Ringer NFL show. So we do have time for a call. So let's get to one. 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Hey, Zach Caruso, Rochester, New York. Hey, Brian. I, I think you're overreacting a little bit to this whole zappy thing. I mean, the past have played the Detroit Lions. Uh, the Packers, who we've seen are not who we thought they were at the beginning of the season, and the Cleveland Browns, who Belichick always just absolutely destroys. And we've seen that, like, Zappi, when you're, he's out there, he's doing what Mac was doing last year. He's keeping it safe. He's, you know, he's hitting open guys. But I just haven't seen him be explosive. And I think that's what Belichick was trying to do with Mac this year, and he was trying to up the the risk profile. And that's why we saw him going for these much more contested catches. We saw Mac, his ADOT is bigger than guys like Lamar and Allen and Mahomes. So I really think that, that Belichick is trying to go for this explosive offense, which I think you're trying to to have in order to beat the, the Buffaloes and the Kansas Cities and the Baltimores of the world. Because I was at that game last year against Buffalo uh, in the cold, and they had no chance. The the second Buffalo stacked the box and just made Mac beat them, he couldn't. And then they just lit them up. So, I don't know. I feel like when Mac comes back, it's his job. And what Zappi's doing is great and all, and I, I'm thrilled for it. And, it, you know, I think we kind of uh, felt like this was coming a little bit, but I I just think that you got to give it back to Mac. And if he's bad, if he continues to be bad, interceptions are fixable, then sure, go back to Zappi maybe later in the year. But I really think you got to give Mac a much, much longer leash 
than what you have so far, especially when you when I think it's really the coaching staff that's been telling you to take all these risks. All right, a couple of things there. So I do understand your point about him throwing the ball down the field more and throwing up more 50-50 balls. Now, I can't say to every single one, those are the plays the coaching staff wants him to make. There is a lot of passes that Mac made that made no fucking sense whatsoever, right? Where he's just throwing it into traffic where he doesn't need to throw it into traffic. Like you got to manage the risk reward there. And ordinarily, he's siding on the wrong side of those type of things where he's making decisions that are just quite frankly inexcusable. But another thing you mentioned in terms of just the A dot throwing the ball down the field more than Zappy, I totally agree with you. And this is what I was talking to Nora about earlier. I don't understand, to your point, why they weren't using some of the stuff that they're using with Bailey Zappi to make life easier for Mac Jones. I like I was so perplexed with the first three games of the season, just the overall offensive philosophy, if you will, where it felt like Mac Jones was the gunslinger. I don't look at Mac Jones and see a guy that profiles that way. I see a guy that could benefit from play action. I see a guy that was last year a very accurate quarterback. I felt like that was the wrong thing to do with Mac whatsoever. And I don't think the way that the Patriots are playing offense through the first three weeks when they're trying to challenge you down the field when it wasn't successful, if you're going to have any chance against the Bills and the Chiefs, I don't think that's how you do it. I understand the idea of having a more high-powered offense, but the Patriots are not going to have a successful offense if it's that way. It has to be the way they've been doing it recently, where they're running the football, play-action pass game, getting the ball to guys in space like Tyquan Thornton, like we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Now, about Mac keeping his job... I believe he is going to get his job back. Now, I would be willing to roll with Zappi if he continues to play this way. But I do think that you're right. I believe that the Patriots are going to give the job back to Mac. But here's the interesting component to all that. Has Mac learned from the time that he was sitting out? Like, I feel like two things can be true, right? The Patriots were not helping Mac out with the play calling. And it's also true that Mac was not playing well and Mac was making too many mistakes. Both those things can be true. It's not one or the other. The coaching staff was not doing a good job of the first three weeks offensively, and Mac Jones was not doing a good job in the first three weeks offensively. So the question becomes, when they ask Mac to do what Bailey Zappi's doing right now, which is take what the defense gives you, heavy play action game, don't turn the football over, can he do it? Because I think what we found out now Zappi can play. He's a pretty good quarterback, right? Which is shocking to all of us. A fourth round pick out of Western Kentucky. This is a fascinating story. But if Mac doesn't clean his issues up, Belichick is not going to be afraid to go back to Bailey Zappi. I mean, we've seen Bill make decisions like this in the past. He doesn't give a shit about draft status, anything along those lines. So I do think in a weird way, This can help out not only the play calling, like I think this helps out Matt Patricia, Joe Judge and Mac Jones, right? Because they've learned, okay, we found stuff that works and Mac Jones realizes, hey, we can win games if we're not playing YOLO ball for lack of a better term. So I think for all parties, this is a good thing going forward for the Patriots that they now have pressure on the quarterback to play well. And secondarily, they've actually found their identity, not only as a football team, but in particular as an offense, which is very, very nice to see. All right. As always, if you want to get your voicemails in, you can 617-396-7172. Again, that's 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. (laughs) 